All right, Alexander, let's talk about what is uh, going on in the Middle East. Anthony Blinken touring the Middle East. Uh, we do have some announcements from uh, Israel, from Israeli officials saying that they're going to start to shift the conflict to a more low intensity uh, operation. That's that's what they're saying. Uh, Blinken is is trying to to get support in the Middle East. He's trying to get Saudi Arabia to uh, to reengage with uh, with Israel and to 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 get this recognition of Saudi Arabia and Israel back on track, which was derailed um, after October seventh. Uh, and uh, and then maybe we can we can touch on on Lloyd Austin a bit. I don't know. Do you want to talk? Uh, about the Lloyd Austin mystery illness now, and and then we'll talk about uh, what's happening in in Israel. Yeah, I think let's do that because I think this is one of the most interesting events uh, um, altogether. Now, the first thing to say is, I mean, Lloyd Austin was genuinely and seriously ill, and he had an operation, and he was out of commission, if you like, for about nine, ten days. So it's a serious illness. The most interesting thing about it, and the thing people need to take note of, is that the White House wasn't informed. <laughs> you know, the, this is, you know, the Secretary of Defense, the head of the Pentagon, the most important person in the military system, and he's out of contention for several days. He's very, very seriously ill, and the President, and presumably the National Security Advisor, as to say, Jake Sullivan, are not told about it. Now, that is incredible. The first thing to say is it shows that there is a complete breakdown in communications within Washington, because you would have thought that, you know, if the Secretary of Defense goes missing, people in the White House would have noticed. So that already tells us that there are some kinds of stresses and strains and, you know, breakdowns of communication between Lloyd Austin and the Pentagon and people in the White House. The most interesting fact of all, however, is that the Pentagon, and not just Lloyd Austin, but some people in the Pentagon worked to keep this fact from the White House. Now, I should say, I am a grizzled veteran of bureaucratic battles. And I know that when someone is finds themselves in the middle of a bureaucratic battle, if, you know, that there's a in, political infighting, factional infighting going on, the one thing you cannot afford to show is weakness. You cannot appear to be ill or unwell or tired or infirm or anything like that. You must appear all the time to be constantly there, to be full of energy, to be able to make decisions. Because if it appears that you're not looking, you're not well, you are ill. As night follows day, your opponents will exploit it. They will say, Lloyd Austin is clearly not up for the job anymore. He's a nice man, but he's clearly too unwell to run the Pentagon anymore. It's time we put in place someone else. And in the meantime, whilst he's on his sickbed, we should start giving direct instructions to people in the Pentagon and have them making decisions, uh, following the decisions that we want to make. So 
the fact that it was kept from the White House, the whole story, what it tells us again, is that factional feuding within Washington is completely out of control, that there is a major political uh, uh, battle going on within the administration, and that for that reason, the Secretary of Defence is keeping his illness secret. I mean, at the very least, he should have informed the president that he was seriously ill and going to need an operation. I mean, it's obvious. The fact that he was keeping it secret shows that things in terms of factional infighting have become not just bad, they have become catastrophically bad. Now, go back a few weeks. We did a program about it. You remember that Lloyd Austin said that Israel and, by extension, the United States were risking strategic defeat in the Middle East. Now, that tells us that Lloyd Austin is very much one of those people who wants to de-escalate the conflict in the Middle East. He understands at some level that the United States has become overextended. He's been an arch hawk. You know, he wants the war in Ukraine to continue. He's not any by any stretch of the imagination a moderate or anything of that kind. But he understands that the situation in the Middle East is very dangerous and that the United States risks overextension there. So the fact that he's keeping, that there was this, I mean, you could always call it a conspiracy to keep the fact that he was so ill secret is a sign that is, is further proof that there are people in the White House, in the National Security Council, almost certainly in the State Department as well, who want to escalate the war. And this pressure backwards and forwards is going on all of the time. Lloyd Austin doesn't want to appear weak in front of those people. He doesn't want to have a situation where they basically seize control whilst he's ill and on the operating theatre and start a war in the Middle East. So Blinken is touring the Middle East. Actually, Blinken was asked about Austin, and he even said that he had no idea that, that Austin was in the hospital. An incredible statement from the Secretary of State. But uh, Blinken, uh, touring the Middle East, he is saying that he wants to uh, prevent a wider war. He wants to keep a, keep a lid on uh, on this conflict so that it doesn't um, escalate any further. Uh, is he going to be able to, to do this? It doesn't look like he's he's having much success. No, he's not going to be able to do this because you know, he, he's going to speak to the Saudis and the Saudis, frankly, I think, are losing patience with Blinken um, because Blinken is constantly coming to them empty-handed, talking about reviving this um, deal with the, you know, this this mutual recognition with Israel, even though the Saudis were interested in that, which, you know, time they might be. Obviously, now, with the conflict in Gaza underway, this is not the time for that. I mean, which is, I mean, that ought to be obvious. But the point is that it's not just that he's talking to the wrong people. He isn't in control of events. 
he can't control what is happening in Israel. He can't control what the various militias across the Middle East are doing. And of course, he's not talking directly to the Iranians. We get reports that the United States is in indirect contact with the Iranians, trying to tell the Iranians to keep the situation moderate and under control. But again, offering nothing that would persuade the Iranians to actually make moves to achieve that. And what has happened is that Blinken and perhaps Lloyd Austin and the relative moderates, and you know, we shouldn't be take this too far, people like that are telling the Israelis, you know, scale down the fighting in Gaza, make it more low intensity, remove the tanks, carry out fewer airstrikes. That is very controversial in Israel itself. There have been furious rows within the Israeli cabinet. There's been a massive row between Gantz, who's the defense minister, and the more hardline figures like Smotrich, the finance minister, and Ben Gvir, who is in charge of security, and who are very hardline figures indeed. So it's a difficult sell within Israel itself. The Israelis have only agreed to that on the basis that, you know, they'll be able to continue operations in Gaza indefinitely. But ultimately, the Israelis are going to continue operations in Gaza. And people like Smotrich and Ben Gvir, they're also now pushing hard to extend the conflict themselves into a battle with Hezbollah. And they're saying, look, all those people in northern Israel have had to leave their homes. We can't tolerate the situation anymore. Hezbollah must withdraw all its forces north of the Litani River in Lebanon. And there's clearly growing pressure to start something against Hezbollah. And one can almost sense, one can almost be, you know, we can we can sense that people are saying in Israel, look, we're withdrawing all these heavy these these troops with all their tanks and all their infantry fighting vehicles and all of that from uh, Gaza. Let's redeploy them to the north and sort out this problem with Hezbollah once and for all. So there's that push. And there's also the push from the other side. All of these militias, these Muslim militias in the Middle East, they're saying, well, look, you know, Americans, they're talking about moving the war in Gaza to a more low intensity level. We're not going to be impressed by that. We're not going to take that seriously. But the very fact that the Americans are talking in this way shows that to some extent our pressure on them is working. So let's escalate. Let's go on attacking American bases in Iraq and in Syria. Let's continue operations if we're the Houthis in the Red Sea, because the Americans have given us no reason to stop because they're not agreeing to a ceasefire in Gaza. And they're giving us every reason to think that this pressure that we're exerting on them is working because they're talking about getting the Israelis to go onto a more low intensity course. So, in fact, all of this diplomatic activity that Blinken is engaging in is not making the prospect of a wider war in the Middle East less. 
is making it greater. Right, but we're getting reports from uh, the media in the United States that the, the Biden White House, or at least certain factions of the Biden White House, are actually warning Israel that they, they won't win. They will not win a two-front war. They will not be able to defeat Hezbollah. So, so why the push to, to, to go after Hezbollah? But that's exactly the point. That's exactly right. I mean, you see, you can see that there is this division. This is, we come back now to Lloyd Austin and the concealment of his illness, because you can see that people like Lloyd Austin, who is worried about a strategic defeat for Israel and the United States, um, probably other military people within the Pentagon, are becoming increasingly worried that Israel is risking getting itself involved in a two-front war where it's fighting Hamas, and it's fighting Hezbollah at the same time. Hezbollah, a far more powerful organization than Hamas, with many, many more rockets, many more trained fighters, fighters who have been um, become experienced because of their long involvement in the Syrian war, and, of course, who behind them have the backing of Iran as well. So those people are worried and they're telling Israel, look, don't do this thing. This is a major mistake. If you extend the war in that way, you bring on that prospect of a strategic defeat. You make it even more real. And, of course, you're potentially dragging us down too. But, of course, you have the other side, the people that Lloyd Austin was concealing the fact that he was ill from. And you, we could put names to some of these people, you know, Vicky Newland, who always wants a war, Lindsey Graham, who's there in Congress, who wants a missile strike on Iran and who's undoubtedly lobbying the White House all the time. Other people within the Pentagon, other people within the State Department, other people within the National Security Council. Anyway, those people, they say... Inconceivable. It's impossible that we cannot win. We are the United States. We are Israel. We can defeat Hezbollah. Of course we can. We can defeat Hamas. The only reason why we are not winning is because we're keeping the gloves on. What we need to do is take off the gloves. We need to come after all of these people. John Bolton, another one who's saying all of this, come after all of these people, take them on at once. We are far more powerful than they are if we find the courage and the will and the strength the strength of will we will prevail because we always do we are the united states and one senses that deep down the president himself joe biden to the extent that he's able to make decisions vic vicariously viscerally he is on the side of these hardliners says you could understand better why there was this need to keep the fact that Lloyd Austin was unwell secret from people in the White House. Yeah, uh, Biden, without a doubt, his his instinct is always for for war. But you know, there was there was a report the other day that Obama was actually at the White House and met with Biden for lunch, and they were discussing uh, Biden's. Biden's polling numbers and, and the 2024 campaign. And, and basically, 
uh, Obama was was essentially warning Biden that things are not going well and you're going to lose. I mean, that's pretty much what the media was reporting with regards to this meeting. But I, I would have to imagine that Obama, uh, for all his faults, for, for the fact that he was just an awful president, in my opinion, but at least Obama understood or had some sort of understanding of the U.S.'s is limits with regards to, to, to its military wars and intervention. Uh, one of the reasons that he didn't escalate it with, uh, with Russia at the time. So I would imagine that even Obama probably sat with Biden and his team and probably said, don't, don't escalate in the Middle East, not now during an election year, because things are going to turn out very bad for, for you guys. I mean, would you say that's probably where the Obama faction is leaning towards? Absolutely. Now, the thing to understand about Obama and what, in my opinion, condemns him is that he was always clever enough to understand that the United States had limits. So he was the man who came forward and said in an interview that he gave to The Atlantic that in Ukraine, the Russians will always have escalatory dominance. He said that. So he understood that. He was the person who started this huge war in Syria, because he did, but who at the same time understood that it would be incredibly dangerous for the United States and might ultimately be disastrous to take the Russians head on in Syria. And he pulled back on more than one occasion from doing precisely that. But knowing all of this, Obama nonetheless continued to give support to the neocons whenever he thought that um, it wouldn't really catch up with him. And he never came forward and explained to the American people or to the political class, I think the American people understand it perfectly well, but to the political class, he always, in the end, said to them, you know, I'm really on your side. Um, all of these things that I'm doing, they're tactical manoeuvres. I don't really, uh, uh, I, I, I ultimately am as much of a believer in the Neocon project as you. And I think this duplicity, which is at the heart of Obama's presidency, has been in the long term disastrous. I think it's actually paved the way to much of the crisis that we have today, because it has reinforced this narrative that the only reason that we're not prevailing in all of these places, in Ukraine, in Syria, wherever, is not because we don't have the means. Zimbabwe never said that we don't have the means. It's because we don't have the, the will. Anyway, just to say that about Obama. Now, Obama undoubtedly understands, as I said, that the United States does have limits. He is also one of these people. This has been consistently true of Obama's entire political career. Remember, all the way back in Chicago, he was very much involved in Chicago politics. He was, what was it, a political organizer there? I can't remember what exactly he was doing. But anyway, he understands he's much more concerned with politics in the United States. He's less interested also in the neocon fantasies because he understands that power in the United States for the Democratic Party is what matters. So what he's trying to do 
is he sees the polls, he sees the polling numbers, he sees the risk of um, Trump winning the election. He also understands the enormous political risks involved in some of these various attempts that are being made to try to prevent Obama, uh, sorry, a Trump winning the election. So he's putting all that together and he's saying to he's trying to say to Biden, stop, you've got to pull back. You can't have a war in the Middle East. If you do that, it will result in a catastrophe. Try and get yourself out of the situation in Ukraine. Try and put together a more coherent policy in the United States. Rethink your entire strategy, because if you don't, we will find ourselves in a much worse situation than we are in. And even if, you know, we somehow manage to prevent a Trump presidency, the political costs of doing that might be extremely high. So that's what Obama is trying to do. But of course, whether Biden is prepared to listen is another matter again. One senses that there's always been a tension between the two men. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine Obama is, is, is telling Biden, if, if you don't take my advice, well, then I'm just going to, to run Michelle. <laughs> He's probably telling Biden that. Yeah. Well, that, that... You can be exactly. replaced, Joe, <laughs> with my wife. I, well, of course. I mean, bear in mind that the only reason Biden is president at all is because Obama backed him. I mean, he wouldn't have won the primary race had it not been for Obama coming up and backing him. So um, um, in a real sense, um, Biden is Obama's creation. <laughs> that says a lot. All right, we'll end it there at the Durant.lo- <laughs> Durant.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, Pitch, Telegram, Rockfin. And Twitter X and go to the Durant shop, 50% off all t-shirts, 15%. Take care.